Gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for gathering up to as your people in this time of worship. You admit us together in your body, united us together not only to encourage one another, to, to pray for one another, to lift one another up, but to gather in this place singing praises to your name and listening for your spirit to speak to us. And now in this time of worship, we quiet ourselves and we pay attention to you. So whether through me or in spite of me, we may hear your spirit. We might be transformed into your presence, and our lives may be changed from this moment forward. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Amen. For continuing on our story, we have quite a bit, quite a bit of it. We went from Jacob running into his brother Esau, afraid that he was going to be killed by him. Unsure of how Jacob would or Esau would respond. From that point on, he, he wrestled with God through the night. He was renamed Israel. We move forward from Jacob and his 12 sons and his one daughter. And one of those sons is Joseph. And Joseph, who is sold into slavery by his brothers, ends up in Egypt. And then the famine comes. And for a couple of generations, the Israelites lived among the Egyptians as kinfolk, as, as welcome people. Because it is through Joseph and through the Israelites, and through Joseph's preparation for the famine that would come that would last seven years, that Egypt did not uh, fall. And the Pharaoh at the time knew Joseph, who had that dream and had worked with Joseph and had experienced all of this, treated Joseph and his people and the Israelites that came after them with fondness and care. They were welcomed because of Joseph's actions. Which is where we get to the beginning of today's passage. We get to a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. We get to a Pharaoh who did not know the famine that had happened. And how through Joseph and the Israelites that are now among them, that Egypt was saved. And Egypt was blessed. And because he didn't know, he treated this foreign group of people that was living among them with fear. Their numbers are getting too great. What will we do if there is a war and our enemies turn against us and they join them? Now, one of the complaints that I hear about the Christian faith, and one of the things that I, you may have thought yourself when reading some of these stories, is what do these thousands of your own stories have to do with life today? Why does this story in the Bible have anything to say about how I should live today, or the world around us today? It's an old book. And there are many people that think but let's rethink about this story in a slightly different way and see if you can find any modern cases, or maybe not so modern cases, where this story fit. You have a group of people living amongst another group of people. Their prosperity, their peace, their joy, whatever you may want to call it, rests entirely on the whims of whatever ruler happens to be on in power. That ruler gives no consideration to what was done before, has no memory of the good things that that brute had done. And out of fear or out of hatred 
out of whatever it may be, decides that that people, those people, are no longer local. Some of you may have gone back only a few years, others may have gone back a few decades. It doesn't take long to find in our history this dynamic between two people groups, one in power, one not, and the whims of the leader makes a more big impact on the life of those living in the planet. These stories are today's stories because humanity, unfortunately, does not change and don't like will. We are fallen, we are broken, we are, we, we, we build out systems and fears out of sin. And then we carry it out and carry it forward and we repeat it over and over again. So if these stories repeat themselves, where is the hope? Where can there be a place of hope if what had happened thousands of years ago has happened over and over again and people suffer because of it? Our hope is where do you see God working in this story and then imagining it and knowing God will work the same way when it happens again. So while God might not be orchestrating all of history and saying this thing will never happen again, God is continually working in history to make sure that there are people in place to make sure that those people don't stay in power long, that their hatred does not last, that their fear does not become infectious. There are people that God places in the world in each generation to say, this shall not be happening. And they do their part to ease sense of it. In today's story, the reason why I inserted that little bit in the uh, act of the first reading, the 15 to, to 210, is I love that story of Shifra and Hua for two people. Now, Moses' story of his childhood jumps from being a born in chapter 1 to him being married and taking care of his father-in-law's flock in chapter 3. Moses' childhood is not that big of a part of the story, no matter how much of our childhood in the Heston movies and, 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 and uh, uh, the Egypt, uh, the animated one. I can't remember the name of it, but it's one of my favorites. <laughs> Prince of Egypt, thank you. No matter how much time they spent on his childhood, we just don't get that story in the Bible. But what we do get is two women who play a key role. Two women who are in maybe six verses of the entire Bible. And while so many women who have played huge roles in the biblical story never end up named, these two women, these two midwives, are named. Shipram and Kua are their name. And we want to remember them because they are part of God's story and part of what has happened and what part of the people that God has placed in place to stand against the evil that the Pharaoh was planning. The pure evil of killing every male child born. Now the Hebrew here is kind of fun. Because we don't know if they were, these were midwives who were Hebrew, taking care of Hebrew women giving birth, or if they were Egyptian midwives caring for Hebrew women. We actually had no idea from the Hebrew itself and depending on how you read it, it has a slightly different connotation where these e Egyptian women call my pharaoh to say, when you go to take care of Hebrew women in childbirth, kill the first child. And they were within the, 
the, the community of power? Where were they Hebrew women called by Egypt, the Pharaoh to say, do this to me? And they were outside of the group of power. Now, either way, however you choose to re read it, we understand that they said no. They stood up to Pharaoh as best as they could. Now, we know that when thousands of women and generations of Israelites living in Egypt, there was more than just two midwives at work helping to deliver babies. It's a little bit much of a two people to take it and count on. But these two women are called out in the scripture for saying to Pharaoh, or for denying Pharaoh's orders. And through that, Moses is born. Through that, the rest of the story that, we, that many of us know, that many of us experience in movies, reading scripture, through experiencing the, the miracles of Moses leading his people from Egypt, or God's people from Egypt, the crossing of the sea, all of that happened because you have these two women who see what's happening, and they say, yo. And then, even further, they have Pharaoh's own daughter who recognizes that this infant, this three-month-old baby inside this basket has to be one of the Egyptian babies. She knows her father's rule of killing all males that have been born. And she even hides it from Pharaoh. She claims the baby for herself. Now, uh, Pharaoh's sister is pretty uh, impressive here and says, hey, do you want me to get a nurse ready for this child you just found? Stepping out of the weeds and, 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 and talking to Pharaoh's daughter. And then she go get, goes and gets the baby's mother. In this story, we have Shifra, we have Pua, we have Moses' daughter, and we have, um, or sorry, not Moses, Moses' sister, and Pharaoh's daughter. Powerful women that were doing uh, amazing things to save people that are under oppression. And made a main God's story forward. This is something that one regrets. Because it teaches us when we, when we get into those parts of history, when we get into those cycles that seem to repeat themselves, where there are people persecuted when, when, and fear and, 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 and laws created and actions taken to kind of suppress those people. We have God working, choosing to work through ordinary people who are paying attention to what's going on around them and paying attention and having a fear of God to say, this shall not be. And in their own way, again, Shepherd and Pua, though many, many boys probably were put to death because the midwives worked wise who would say, no, this is wrong. But in these two, they find the strength and the conviction to say, no. And they actually insult the Egyptian women in the process. A little fun part of the story is where, where Pharaoh says, why have you let each children live? Why have you let these boys survive? They were told to kill them. And they say, well, these Israelite women, these Hebrew women, they're so vigorous in giving birth that they give birth before we even get there. 
which is so unlike the Egyptian women who, who need the midwife there and who is, and it doesn't get birth until the midwife arrives. So they stand up to Pharaoh, they insult the Egyptian, the Egyptian women, and they save many male children in the crop. So this tame attention to what's going on around us and saying no more, not one life is here, helps us to learn how to live in the world today when it happens again. But this paying attention doesn't just rest with this fellow upon the story. We come forward to Moses, who was in the wilderness, beyond the wilderness, the scripture says, with his father and all flock. And he looks and he sees a bush burning, which in the wilderness can cause problems, but if you're that far from any kind of civilization or, or camp or anything like that, it's not going to be devastating. But it draws his attention enough that he looks at it long enough, he just doesn't let it just go out of mind to go back as he goes back to his flock. He pays attention to it long enough to realize that this bush has been burning for a little while and it's not being consumed. You can't tell that just by glancing at a burning bush. You have to spend enough time looking at it to say, hey, this, this bush isn't disappearing. It's not going anywhere. The fire's not spreading. So he's paying attention to what's around him. And in paying attention, we hear in the scripture that when God knows that Moses has turned his attention towards this burning bush, when God, Moses has shifted his mindset, that's when God speaks. That's when God calls out to Moses to come further, but not too close. For the ground of your standing on is the ground. And they have this conversation where, Moses, where Jacob just last week had asked the stranger, asked the God, guy that he was wrestling with, what is your name? And Jacob didn't get an answer. Moses had now asked the question, who are you? Who should I say your name is? Pick somebody out. And God gives him God's name. Now in our translations, uh, it's translated as, I am who I am. Could also be translated, I will be who I will be. Or I am who I will be. We have this being, this God who is defined by who God is, and what God has done, and what God will do. All wrapped up in this one name, the ineffable name. Four words, four letters put together, like no vowel points in the Hebrew language so that you didn't even risk pronouncing it. How he had God defined God's self by, I am who I have been, and I will be who I am. And so if God has worked through people, paying attention to the world around them, seeing pain and seeing evil in the world around them, and saying, no, not me, not while I'm here, not in this sphere of influence that I have, then God will surely work through us if we do the same. If we see pain and suffering and hate around us, and we stand up and say, not while I'm here, not in my circle, not in this sphere of influence that I have, because God will not allow me to let that keep going in my presence, 
that surely at least in the communities that we find ourselves, our workplace and our homes, wherever we may be, surely things will change in those areas. Lives will be changed and, and be transformed and people will be blessed. People who are hated and feared because of who they are, who they love, or where they were born, or the color of their skin, or their gender, or any of those things that we build up division around, if we say not in our midst, hate will not stand, and we call it out and place ourselves between it, we will get a few hours. We will get hurt and wounded in the process. Shimon and Thua could have been put to death by the Pharaoh for denying it. We have no idea how it's going to turn out when we place ourselves in between hate and those who are hated. But we don't do it and we don't not do it because of fear. We do it because God calls us to. And we trust that God will be with us and God will walk alongside of us in that journey. And we do it because that is how God has worked in the past. And we trust that God, that is how God is going to work now in the future. That the God who was, is, and will be. And just as God has worked through people in the past, through ordinary people, God works through ordinary people now. So if you ever think that you don't have the gifts, you don't have the ability, you don't think you could stand in a world of hate and say, not here and not now, look at how God is in, in the path. Look at those two named women in six verses of the Bible. Look at Moses' sister, Aaron's daughter, and even Moses himself to do amazing things, to bring transformation to those who are oppressed, those who are hated, and those who are feared, and see that the world and societies can truly change through the acts of ordinary people. We say, God, from out of doubts, and even work. It gives us strength. It should give us courage. It should give us conviction when we'd rather be distracted. We know that Pharaoh was trying to use distraction and labor to try to conquer the Israelites, to keep them subjected. Filling their time with labor and hard work, and, 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 and so they had no time for anything else. It was a distraction. Keep the people preoccupied and distracted, then they won't notice that they were going all around. Again, it sounds familiar. Our world is full of so many distractions, so many things that call our attention, so many things that divide us because of where we put our affection. But if we spoke and put our focus on God, living out our faith as Christians who tore, who, who hung Christ to his death and resurrection, tore down those boundaries and invited us to be a part of his redeeming work, then we have to keep our attention where it needs to be. They have to keep the distraction of the bay. Continue that. The world is the shape. I can't think of a better call. I can't think of a better way of seeing a story so written so long ago and how it still has an impact on us today. Uh, I, for myself, and for each of us, Steve,
that this is who we want to be. And I trust that God to give us charity. Are you in a response?